Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, all you budding adventurers. My name's James, and welcome back to another episode of the 9to5ADV podcast, where we talk affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. Back in the hot seat is my regular co-host, Ross. Uh, it's great to be back, James. I missed you last week. Although, I think you found someone far more interesting than me to co-host. Yeah, Louise was amazing. Yeah, it was great getting a debrief from her. Um, Michael's finished his trip now um, within 10 days. Which so is he's back home. Ast- pretty astonishing. Yeah. They're aiming for 14 days, is that right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, the tech website advises 20 days. Okay, so they've he's done done really good. If you've skipped a, an episode or or missed out on anything, then Louise had to pull out about literally about halfway through due to some coolant issues on on her bike. So she came home, uh, hence why we managed to do a debrief last week, and uh, Michael carried on and finished, but, um, but not then, without mechanical issues of his own. I think no from uh, from what he was putting on Instagram and and texting and things then. Uh, it looks like he had a few few mishaps, but I suppose that's part of the course, really, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to catch up with him. Uh, hopefully next week, if we can, because he's, he, he's decided that he wants to do um, another pretty marathon challenge, which I won't spoil, because he hasn't announced it yet. But um, So try and catch him before he starts on that one. Yeah, definitely. So where were you last week? Last week? Where was I last week? I don't actually know. Where was I? Do you know where I was? No, you just said that you couldn't podcast, so I had to scramble around to try and find someone better. When you found them easily. Mm-hmm. I don't actually remember. Possibly. Were you on the beach? Were you doing some... Did I see that? What day was it? All weekend. Oh, yeah, I went to the beach. Nice. Yeah, that, was my, that was my excuse. <laughs> went, to the, went to the seaside. Oh, wait, yeah, we went kayaking, and I went to learn to kite surf with a friend of mine. Oh, cool. Um, who's an, I think, ex-British champion or something, so... Fairly handy teacher. Just about got me up on my feet, which was fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, and then uh, went out on the push bikes on Dartmoor all, all day Sunday. Great. But yeah, no, not a good weekend, but I did miss you. Oh. Anyway, just one one bit of news this week. It's quite nice, actually. We're just getting one bit of news every week, which means we can just focus on one bit and move on to the main topic, which today is going to be adventure bike 
upgrades and modifications. Because yeah, no one wants to keep their bike standard, right? No. No matter what you're using it for, you're going to want to personalize it to to some extent at least. Exactly. And so we'll look at we're going to look at off-road focused and on-road more touring focused because not everyone wants to smash their new bikes to pieces. Exactly. But yeah, just one bit of news this week then, which is a long way up Ewan and Charlie's new project. We talked about a few weeks ago that it was rumored to be coming to Apple TV much to my disgust <laughs> disdain disgust disdain, everything yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but no it is coming to apple tv on september the 18th uh first three episodes are going to go live on that day and then i think they're going to go out weekly after that no idea how many they're going to do but um very exciting i think it's like Ten thousand miles or something like that, or is it a hundred thousand miles? It's a lot. It's not hundred thousand miles. miles. That's, that's no. like eight times around the earth. No, so um and you I'm, heard it here. A hundred thousand <laughs> miles on an electric bike. And I'm on editing, one charge as well. I'm editing it out. <laughs> uh but the main thing is obviously the fact that they're doing it on Harley Davidson live wires. So electric yeah. motorcycles. So that's gonna be Which pretty you're, interesting. You're pretty keen on. Yeah. I personally don't think that the bikes are at that point technology wise to be a decent enough adventure bike um i don't think it's... i mean maybe may in in a country like you know like the united states which is pretty fairly developed and mm-hmm. um but no certainly not for getting off the off the beaten track and can't imagine you charging a electric bike in outer mongolia somehow no not yet anyway but there we go so d- just that one so let's jump right into this week's topic then so like i said before adventure bike modifications where do you want to start russ well, I suppose most common modifications, I guess, that most people are going to do on adventure bikes, I think. So this is so something that is um, going to be a considera- consideration regardless of whether you're going on or off-road, I, I suppose, is luggage, really. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that 90-plus percent of people that buy an adventure bike are going to also invest in some form of luggage, whether or not they're using the bike for weekend trips or, you know, round-the-world exploration. Um, you're going to need somewhere to put some stuff. So, uh, yeah, should we start start with that? Talking Sounds about good. Option, options for luggage. Yep, no, ideal. So if you're a big capacity adventure bike rider, you know, your big GSs, your Tiger 1200s and such, the most common type of luggage for those types of bikes that you will see people riding around on is, is going to be hard aluminium panniers, which um, are all the rage in the adventure bike market these days. But would you say that they are the ideal adventure bike luggage? I think the metal luggage, what do I think about the metal luggage? It looks fantastic. It looks mm-hmm. right on the bike. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. And like it or not, a lot of people buying, especially the big capacity adventure bikes, so you, like your, your GS1250s and Tiger 12s and things like that, they're going to want the bike to look right. And some kind of plastic givey luggage is not really going to cut it, even if it might offer a little bit more um space inside the the main thing i suppose with the um the metal luggage is it is rugged so mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter if you if you kick it when you're getting on and off the bike and if the bike does tip over it is going to offer some protection and whereas plastic boxes tend to look a bit rubbish once they get all scuffed up i actually think metal luggage that's all kind of battle scarred and covered in stickers and stuff look look pretty cool so um, I think, yeah, if I was buying a big adventure bike, I probably would end up going down that route if I was only going to be doing a sort of mainly road touring. Mm. That's um, the that's the big thing, isn't it? It's it's hard luggage is a great option if if you're going to be on the road. Perfect point is the Taffy Dakar last year. I took I went up on the Tiger, had the aluminium side boxes yeah. on the on the Tiger, 
but we had a base of operations, a base campsite, and then we went off trail riding around there. So got to the campsite, set up camp. I really just enjoyed the fact there that you described our tent and vans and base (laughs) a base of operations. It makes it sound way more official. I like that. I'm going to call it that camp from now on. Base of operations. Is this a base of operations now? Your your spare your your spare room. room. Yeah. For now, for now. But um, no, it's a it's a perfect point. They're great. They're they're easy. They click. They just click on. Pan your frames. They've got loads of luggage space um completely weatherproof yeah and you take them off you can use them as a seat when you yeah, get that's there good shout which, the metal ones, actually. we use them as a coffee table yeah when yeah. we got there and then you go off and spend the you know spend the day trail riding or riding some nice alpine twisty turny roads yeah. great ideal for that um where they fall down is a few things one being cost uh it is yeah. the most expensive type of luggage to get Number two being weight. It's the heaviest type of luggage that you can get. And number three is that they aren't very good if you're going to be doing something like the Tet or you're going to be doing any kind of off-road style riding, particularly if you fall down. Now, there's a few reasons why it is bad when you go down with aluminium luggage. Number one is while you've got this big sturdy box, if you fall over and you hit a rock and you put a big dent right in the you know where the lid is sometimes well at minimum if you're lucky you're just going to break that weatherproof seal at worst you're not going to be able to close and lock that that aluminium box so you're kind of screwed and from a safety point of view uh, there is a risk of getting your leg trapped underneath a or behind a, a aluminium box when you go down and i've not had a, known anyone that's had this done but a lot of big adventure riders say they know people that have had horrible accidents um, with hard luggage where they've come off off-road. Yeah, no, I can I can see that happening, to be fair. I suppose the the one potential advantage of hard luggage if you're off-road is that when the bike falls over, it's not going to fall over as far. So it's probably easier to pick it back up if you mm-hmm. don't get crushed by it. But yeah, I think I've, in that case, I probably would rather have some soft luggage and a nice squishy Krieger bag with some t-shirts inland on my leg than a yeah the the edge of a square box. So I've got I've got Krieger luggage for my T7. Um, if you go on the website or if you've seen my my Instagram posts or website posts, you'll know that I've I love Krieger luggage and soft luggage in general, especially for a combination of road and off road. Now, as with hard luggage, there are advantages and disadvantages. And it's all about working out what what your needs are and then deciding which bit of luggage works for you obviously a big plus of soft luggage is it's it's less expensive for the most part you don't have to buy frames or racks for them to go on a lot of the time they can just strap straight onto the bike or sling over the bike the actual bags themselves um while expensive for a bag still work out a lot cheaper than you know you can spend up to about a thousand pounds on a aluminium luggage setup yeah yeah absolutely and the rest with the top box and everything as well Mm -hmm. so so cost convenience that i don't think that anywhere near as convenient as as hard luggage hard luggage like you were saying earlier ross you take that you open the lid you put everything in it's a solid rigid case yeah, yeah. and then you close the lid with a soft luggage you've got to be more methodical about how you're going to pack it packing things near the bottom that you don't need things that you do need in the top there's a lot more straps although the advantage of it though i suppose compared to that is that whereas with a hard luggage obviously it's 
with the exception of some of the really funky BMW systems, it's always the same size. Whereas with soft luggage, if you don't pack it full, you can compress it and yes. and make it slightly smaller. So in that respect, it's slightly more practical and adaptable mm-hmm. than than hard luggage. I mean, if, if you've ever tried to commute or um, filter with big, wide aluminium boxes, it's well, it's not very scary for the motorcyclist. It's more scary for car drivers whose wing mirrors you're yeah. leaving strewn up the motorway <laughs> as you just get right by picking them off one by one. Mm. Um, generally, soft luggage is going to be well within the, the width of your handlebars. Yeah, that's really true. Even, even with my Krieger bags full, they don't even come near to you the end of my handlebars even need to think about no. when you when you're filtering which is not at all which is a good thing because obviously you know we'll go on these adventures and we like to imagine ourselves mm-hmm. riding across you know the wilderness out on open step land and stuff but you know you're gonna at some point you're gonna have to ride through a big city um to get to a hotel or, or, or whatever and um having a bike that's nimble especially in some really really busy cities in other parts of the world where traffic's a bit more chaotic having a bike that's sort of four foot wide is is not great no completely agree and for off-road there's there's no comparison soft luggage is is always a better option yeah here i feel uh it's you've got less weight up front than compared with hard luggage it's more compact and compressed to the bike like you were saying ross as long as you pack well this is the other thing you've got to think about you can't you don't really want to be chucking a laptop or a camera in a side bag. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and then bombing your bike off-road uh, and then dropping it because they do act as lovely cushions, as I found when I have when I did the Great Western Trail last yeah, well, year. Yeah, I mean, they're great for the bike, aren't they? Because mm. especially if you've got them packed with sleeping bags and T-shirts and clothes and things, they're super absorbent. I yeah, mean, it's, uh... and it's surprising how durable, you know, these good brands are. You know, oh, I have my yeah, Kruger bags. so tough. I had the bike down and... You know, I was having to spin the bike so I could get a, a good position to lift it back up, and the Krieger bags just were fine. Yeah, not a scratch, well, not a tear. Obviously, a bit of a scuff, but not a tear. It's 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 phenomenal. But again, it's adventure luggage, and it looks better with some scuffs and battle marks on them. I think, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's not as cut and dry as hard or soft. There are in betweens. There are combinations. You know, a lot of adventure riders swear by soft luggage on the side and then a small lockable top box yeah, so you've yeah. got the security and a rigid construction for you know your like i said your laptop or your camera or something yeah. well something that i suppose that's another thing we we didn't mention in the advantages is obviously soft luggage isn't lockable mm-hmm. and even if it is lockable it's only going to take a knife to cut it open um whereas yeah like if you've got a hard top box on it you can use that to secure some valuables if you're in some far off place like slough or newton abbott yeah <laughs> yeah and then you can have hybrid luggage. I mean, Givy do it, uh, Krieger do a really lovely set of soft panniers. So they they go onto a hard pannier rack, but they're like big 36-litre, like sort of semi-rigid, but fabric okay. panniers. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just finding what is right for your style of riding, um, which is what we'll probably say a lot in this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To be honest. Um, there's, not, there's not a right or a wrong Mm. way with any of this so i suppose that after luggage then the the next thing to look at is going to be protection for your bike um obviously much more important for off-road riding than on-road riding but still sort of relevant to road riding i think most people that buy the big adventure bikes at some point in their ownership will put it on the floor Mm -hmm. you know i'm not talking about crashing it but that kind of really awkward embarrassing car park instance where the, the weight of the bike just gets away from you a little bit Oh, I did it so much when I first got the Tiger. Yeah. So embarrassing. 
just literally even just pulling away on a on a high street that was on a camper yeah and it is it is incredibly awkward and especially if you're not used to it if you if if, if you're new to adventure bike riding mm. and you're not used to that tall high up riding position you know you you may not have your feet flat on the floor um the fuel tanks are not on most adventure bikes is very high up and normally quite large so it carries its weight quite high you know once an adventure bike starts to get away from you they do they do go over so if we think to start with then james if we're talking about your, your kind of your average adventure bike rider who's not really going to be doing any off-road what would you say are your kind of protection priorities it's tricky on the so on the tiger uh my first tiger i only ever had the engine bars and the engine bars and the tiger are are pretty good because they stick out quite far they're low but they they support that when the bike's flat, flat on the floor it it does a very good job of protecting everything else whereas for example on my t7 the the crash bars are hugged very close to the bike so if i just had the crash bars on its own it's going to protect the engine but not necessarily a lot less than the bike so uh, you know i swear by a two point combination of protection which is crash bars and handguards well, so so because yeah the bike can't ever land on one point it's got to land on at least yeah. two points of contact so you always try and have yeah and yeah, and those two i've found uh, every time we go out, have been the saving graces. Mm. It's shocking how often my bark busters have have protected the bike. Yeah, yeah. So whether it's just a little off on the road or whether you're you fall down on a trail, I think a good investment is is the pair of those in tandem. Probably the crash bars slightly more. Yeah, I think on the road because I think your your hand guards, even your just your rubbishy plastic ones, will do kind of enough if it's just fallen over in a car park. And and ultimately, worst case scenario, you bend your handlebars. I suppose what you want to do really is protect your engine casings and and the plastics on the bike that are going to be quite expensive to replace. So mm-hmm. engine bars probably make the most sense there. Yeah, but it's a tricky. It's a bit of a minefield as well, especially with crash bars because you can you can cover your bike to the hilt in in crash bars. And obviously, you're protecting your bike. The more protection you put in your bike, you're um, assuming is because you're doing more off-road focus work. But the more you put on your bike, the more weight you're adding to your bike. And in yeah, particular, and width and everything as and width, well. Yeah, and especially with crash bars, the more you put on, they usually sit higher and higher on the bike. Mm. So you're adding more weight and more weight higher up. So it's uh, it's trying to work out that combination of that sweet spot of enough protection but yeah. not, not overdoing it because the ones i've got on the t7 are about six kilos yeah it's quite you know it's quite it's not, a lot it's of not an inconsiderate inconsiderate amount is it it's, no so we think for, for, for on road yeah we want definitely some some engine bars of some description possibly hand guards i mean i think we both agree that hand guards for off-road are probably just about the most essential thing you could possibly have on the bike mm-hmm. just in terms as well of um protecting your hands from debris yes. anyway you can be going at a reasonable i mean we're not talking about flying but even if you're doing sort of 30 miles an hour on a lane if a tree branch hits your fingers mm. well, well i mean imagine someone hits you with a branch at 30 miles an hour <laughs> it would really hurt right I mean, <laughs> on your fingers yeah exactly so um so no i think that and then other bits of protection because you've got a lot of um debris coming up from the trail as well so stones flicking up and things and um, we've got certain parts of of our bikes that are more vulnerable to this i'm thinking like oil filters uh radiators that sort of stuff what's your position on yeah bash plates um sump guards rag guards things like that yeah 100 percent. so the a perfect example with with the t7 again because the t7 as stock comes with a with a little bash plate 
which is quite good because a lot of adventure bikes don't. Well, and if they do, they're often plastic. Yeah, that's a uh, good point. Um, but the T7 came with a, an aluminium bash plate, which, you know, it's all right. But um, from day one, I wanted to be out on the trails from day one on the bike. So I ordered, I pre-ordered a bash, yeah, the big Yamaha bash plate to go with it because sod's law, a stone would, or something would come yeah, up and yeah, hit yeah. something or... Or you'll get the bike breached on something. Or... Exactly. And it's worth just reminding people when you bought your Tenere that you didn't have any other options other than no. the... And we'll come on to this later. But you had to go for the Yamaha genuine accessories because the bike was so new. Yes. Um, now the market's littered with um, with options and you've kind of got to do your own research with that. But yeah, definitely I think on, on most any adventure bike that you're planning on doing some proper off-roading on, a more yeah. sort of... A, substantial bash plate is a is a good shout Mm -hmm. and the radiator guard like you said you know they're usually like i mean depending when you get from the rng ones are usually like 90 quid which seems like a lot for a little sheet of corrugated aluminium but considering cheaper than a new radiator (laughs) yeah and it doesn't take much to get flicked up in there no i mean radiators are surprisingly fragile i mean they're just those tiny little uh, capillaries and they're very very thin and very vulnerable aren't they some Mm -hmm. adventure bikes have better designs than others for the radiators in the first place right yeah um like your, your t7 for instance is the radiator design is is quite clever yeah it's a plastic one but it's because i haven't i haven't changed mine yet i'm it's on my to-do list but because the the stock one is pretty good it's low down on my to-do list mm. um it's kind of got like fans out at a 45 degree angle so that's anything coming directly at it it should break the... the plastic before it breaks the actual exactly um but even and even just not putting aside the cost side of things it's just an easy way to ruin a ride you know even if you don't care that a radiator costs x amount and you think oh well, that's not a big deal if you get a hole in it you're probably not riding home no no very true which is gonna be rubbish and protection isn't always just about literally stopping the bike from getting destroyed one thing that i've come to realize through trail riding and then selling the bike afterwards, you know, for for people who aren't necessarily going to buy one bike and keep it forever. Which, let's face it, is most people. Exactly. With that in mind, there are lots of components that over time, through trail riding, particularly in the summer, when there's a lot of scrub and foliage, you know, your plastics, your engine casings, little things that aren't going to break the bike if you break them, uh, you tend to forget about. Yeah, but it's going to make the bike look tired and look uncared for, which... Exactly. If you're going to keep the bike forever, who cares? It shows up so badly on my T7 because I've got a matte black. It, it seems to be worse on matte colours than, than polished colours. But just putting either a decal kit or even just getting it wrapped in a solid colour vinyl wrap. Yeah, just yeah, just stickers because, or... Yeah, because pla- the you know motorcycle fairings are expensive. Um, and if you're going to go and sell the bike and you, and you have to weigh up between selling it for a lower price or then shelling out however many hundreds of quid to replace the plastics to make it look good again you know it's a no-brainer to then spend 60 quid on just getting it wrapped at the beginning you're yeah. stopping those little it's just little hairline sort of scratches that come from leaves and branches that build up over time and it's the same with the engine casings as well you can get the rng racing covers to go over the engine casings which again just helps with things like your mud staining that you get over time and, yeah, yeah. and those little scratches i had a chap who i think i mentioned to you he bought a uh, tenere 700 off me two weeks ago took it straight literally rode it out the dealership to the ferry took it over to spain 
uh, and then brought it back a week later with 1,200 miles on it for its first service, which technically is double the yeah. mileage it should be at. So having also though. Having also done an enduro, uh, an enduro event on it in the UK <laughs> when he got back, and then I saw him this week, and he's done another 500 miles on it since. He's at 1,700 miles in two weeks. Wow. And the bike looks about four years old. <laughs> I, said to, I said, Steve, what have you done to it? And he he just doesn't care. Fair, I mean, yeah. it's mad respect for him because he just couldn't care less what his bike looks like. Um, but honestly, the bike, yeah, looks three or four years old. Mm. It's all, like you were saying, all the fairings are rubbed. They're rubbed where his knees have been on it, where he's been stood up. Um, there's scuffs all over the fairings. Um, he's bent the like the windscreen thing oh, with really? the little bar that, yeah, that's yeah. bent out of line um he has got bark busters on it so they're all scuffed anyway um but his engine guards so he's put some uh i think he is it heed or heed yeah. yeah he's put heed bars on it which i think look great um but they're all scuffed and uh, yeah if he put some stickers on it he could have probably saved a lot of damage to mm. the to the fairings but he doesn't care which i think is is quite admirable but yeah it kind of goes to show how abused these bikes can get in a relatively short space of time if you're using them in that kind of in that kind of way yeah definitely and it tends to happen a lot more in summer than winter yeah the ground's harder in summer yeah ground's harder there's loads more foliage and plant life yeah dust and uh, and grit that gets mm-hmm. in everything as well that just acts like a bit of a grinding paste in winter everything yeah it's generally soft and squishy no definitely um what about performance then so performance well i suppose it depends on how you measure performance i think most modern adventure bikes for most people if we're talking performance in terms of purely power in the engine realistically don't need a lot i mean your tenere 700 you know it makes what is it about 70 horsepower or something and certainly for off-road that's ample but even on the road it's not too bad um, and if you're going up in engine capacity from there I mean, do you, I mean, yeah, you can go and get your bikes dyno tuned and power commanders and things. So I think the actual performance gains in terms of power is is pretty pointless. What you might find though is that you can improve things like your throttle response um, and your fueling, which especially on yeah. modern bikes, and I think it's only going to get worse as we go into Euro Five. You might find that you can dial out some of the sort of throttle snatchiness that people often complain about on on modern bikes with a fueling module or something or a remap. Yeah, so that's a big thing at the moment with the T Seven. Is people trying to solve that? It's got quite snatchy off idle with the T7, and people are looking at just flashing the ECU yeah. or getting a power commander, and it's it's tweaks like that. Maybe if you're road riding and it's you're using it more of a tour as a tour adventure bike than a yeah yeah than a you rugged might. adventure bike. But then I just think, why would you why buy that bike in the first place? Just go and buy a bike with more yeah. power. Buy but a Tracer 900. But or even something. then, if you were if you were doing that on and you're on something like a you know a 1200 GS or 1200 Tiger. They are the pinnacle of the adventure bike mm. performance world. You know, they've, they're they the most expensive. They've had the most development. They're the smoothest and, you know, they're ultimately designed for luxurious long distance road riding. Yeah. Um, really. But um, in terms of performance, how I'm thinking is is more in the sense of this is mainly off-road focused okay. in your your performance and how you and the bike perform in the dirt yeah so i suppose one of the one of the most common things on most a lot of adventure bikes especially ones that maybe aren't designed straight from the factory um with off-road in mind is gearing you you obviously spoke in the past about think changes you made to your tiger very very popular upgrades to things like crf 250s and it's normally that people want to well, I say normally, I think it's always that people want to shorten their gearing. You never hear about people trying to lengthen their gearing for, for off-road riding. And for for those of people listening that maybe don't know what we're, what we're talking about by shortening and lengthening gearing, basically what we're trying to do is um, improve response and acceleration. 
at the expense of top speed. Correct, yeah, and and handling in that first gear. So looking at the Tiger 800, in later models they have shortened the first gear, which has made it more responsive off-road. But for the older models, so the, the 2015 model that I had, the front gear, the first gear, sorry, was quite long and would trundle along at sort of eight, nine miles an hour. Now, if you need control on a descent, for example, and you've got the clutch out, because when you're when you're doing a descent, you've got the combination of clutch and brake yeah. to control that bike as it goes downhill. Now, if you've got a first gear that when it's out, it's going at nine ten miles an hour, it's way too fast. It's way too fast, and then and then you run much more of a risk of you have to be slipping the clutch along with the brake, and it just makes life a lot lot more complicated, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, a you're going to burn out your clutch quicker, and b you run more of a risk of pulling the clutch in too far and losing any element of engine braking. Yeah. And, and losing control of the bike. Now, what most of us can't do, though, is what you've just said. So Triumph lowered the first gear on the new Triumph, yeah. on the new Tiger. Now, we've got to leave that to the manufacturers because for the most part, we're not going to be taking apart our gearbox. And, you know, to a lot of people, I guess, the saying altering your gearing is going to sound pretty scary. But what we're talking about is altering your overall gear, your overall gearing. So we're going to be changing it in every single ratio, not specifically one ratio within the gearbox, right? Correct. So you... It comes at a sacrifice, as you were saying just before, Ross. Uh, if you shorten the front gear to make it more responsive, you lose that. We've well, also the top. shortened your sixth gear as well. Correct. So your cruising speed on the motorway then becomes lower. Yeah, through any given rev range. If you're yeah. at 8,000 RPM doing 100 miles an hour, your same 8,000 RPM will only be 90 miles an hour. Correct. Suddenly. Yeah. yeah, so when you're going at 70 miles an hour, you're gonna, the bike's going to be revving higher. higher. And therefore, it's going to have a, high, a lower top speed as well. Yeah, so it's something you, you need to factor in. It's not difficult to swap back. You don't have to take the engine apart. You take the sprocket cover off. Uh, we're talking about dropping you know, a tooth or on the, on the, on the And front, that's on the front, yeah. Or adding teeth to the rear. To the rear. Or both. Orbit. Which is what our friends Matt and Emma have done on their CRFs. Yeah. They've they've shorted, they've they've put a smaller cog up front, and I think they've gone one tooth down on the front and two up on the back or something um, yeah, to make the bikes really, really yeah. responsive. And it's just something that you have to decide whether you want to do for yourself. It all depends on again how how you ride. I found that for the Tiger, it, it worked. It worked great. You can have more of a finer tune by increasing the the rear sprocket because there's a lot more teeth it's a much yeah. bigger sprocket plus big rear sprockets look really cool yeah that's true yeah <laughs> very true um but i think the front one's well i found the front one very easy to change yeah i think a lot of people change that out it's a super easy job mm. and you can get loads of different sizes it's just finding one that fits your bike that yeah. with the amount of teeth that you want again it's like i was saying about the clutch it sounds a very daunting thing to do but it's it's not it's probably a lot easier than even the, the clutch change, isn't it? And yep. talking of clutches, lowering your gearing is going to... One thing it is going to do as well is help reduce strain on your clutch. Yes. Um, you, you'll find yourself, as you're pulling away up hills and things, having to slip the clutch an awful lot less, which means your clutch is fully engaged more of the time, which means that you're not um, you're not wearing the plates out. Mm-hmm. So, um, For off-road riding, big win. Um, if you're going to be using your bike for an awful lot of motorway mileage as well, maybe not something you want to do i guess it's generally going to be detrimental to fuel economy as well i would think yes yeah what definitely was but hey ho yeah james doesn't care about the environment anyway so. <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> um but 
other than that, though, I mean, we, we, we jumped onto Sprockets, but we probably should have mentioned this up top. The biggest change you can make if you're going to be doing, well, any kind of riding, actually, the biggest change you can really make to your bike is, is tires, even on the road. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Stock, stock tires are rarely fantastic. A lot of the time, they're, they're weird collaborations with, that, that manufacturers have with a tire manufacturer to make effectively a cheaper version of a tire they already make for that bike. Yeah. I've discovered this on another video from Fortnite. Yeah. Did you see it? No. No. I, I know it from uh, complaining on a Kawasaki trip about how awful their Dunlop tires were. <laughs> and I've said, like, how are these tires so awful? Yeah. And, and yeah, chatting to someone from Kawasaki. Uh, um, yeah, basically, it's effectively an older model or a cheaper compound that's made by that manufacturer kind of for that bike because they know that most people are going to have it's a consumable so it's going to be changed down the line anyway mm-hmm. um and therefore if you're des- your manufacturer desperately trying to get you know your rrp one pound under seven grand you can save yourself 150 200 pounds per bike by putting cheaper tires on it yeah so yeah and if you if you then went and bought those exact same tires from the tire manufacturer, you would not have the same tires. No, you 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 often cannot buy that tire mm-hmm. off the shelf because it's so awful. Yeah, and, but so, some manufacturers don't cheat this as well. Though. I mean, you know, Triumph generally have some pretty good rubber on most of their bikes. Yeah, you usually tend to find that a the more expensive the bike, and b the more I always found that it was the more refined street and sports bikes had the better tires. What, than adventure bikes, you mean? Than adventure bikes. Right, okay. Um, And whether that's down to the test ride or whether it's... I don't know what it's down to, but I always found that the the street and sports bikes had always had much... Better rubber to start with. Yeah. Mm, Okay. You know, for example, the Tiger. The the Tiger had terrible tyres on it. Really? Um, Battle Axe. Something. Yeah, I can't remember. The Battle... Battleaxe tires. Yeah, but they were no, not much good on the but road terrible. either. They, they, I, they're pretty much what adventure bikes come with are road tires that look like they're knobbly. Yeah, which is the worst. Of and therefore, all, they're all like worlds. they're inherently compromised everywhere. Exactly. The T seven's not too bad because it came with the Pirelli Scorpion STRs, which are pretty, pretty good for dry off roading. I think they're the the best off-road road tire you're going to find mm-hmm. the new tiger 900 comes with those as well yeah um although a slightly different if, you, buy the if you look at them they look slightly different so yeah basically change the tires whether you're going to be road riding whether you're going to be off-road riding changing the rubber will make a huge difference to the way that bike feels and rides yeah and just think when you're when you are upgrading the the tires on any bike how you're actually gonna use it yeah because this is a minefield if you're looking down um, oh, some kind yeah. of off-road route uh you'll see the freight you'll see you know 50 40 50 sorry 50 50 60 yeah, well, 40 you're doing the other 10%, that's when you're jumping <laughs> you're, yeah exactly <laughs> you're really optimized for airtime but you'll see those numbers thrown around of of, of way mm. it's basically a way of describing uh the ratio of road to off-road use for a tire yeah, but I also think it's not just the ratio of use, it's like the, in terms of time, it's kind of also got to be the difficulty because you could buy a tyre that's like 90-10, mm-hmm. but if the 10% of the time you go off-road, you are riding the gnarliest trails ever, <laughs> then it's like the 90-10 tyres are not going to work. Mm. Um, so you kind of need to, yes, it's to do with time, but it's also 
kind of, and it's, it's not going to be exact, but what sort of off-road riding are you doing? If you're buying a 50-50 tyre, then realistically you're going to be probably stuck on fire roads and yeah. you know, very easy lanes. If you're buying something that's like 70-30, 80-20, then it's like, okay, now I can start doing some pretty severe off-roading. Mm-hmm. But you must accept at that point that the road handling of your bike is going to be massively compromised. Yeah. I mean, you've ridden your Tenere with your tractionators on it back-to-back with our demo. Oh my goodness, I thought my bike was broken or something. That's <laughs> yeah. how smooth going back onto those stock tyres are. Yeah. Um, but off-road, they are fantastic. Yeah. They are probably the knobbliest tyres you can get for the big rims that you get on adventure yeah. bikes. And it is difficult because you can't... There isn't really like a one-stop shop that says, okay, I want to do this and this and this. Okay, this is the tyre for you. Yeah. It's ever so tricky probably the best i've seen is actually uh adventure specs website for the moto z tires are these the ones you've got these are the this ones i've got called because moto z the tires right. are now they do quite a few different tires only about half of which are suitable for big adventure bikes the other ones are smaller rims for mm. the uh, for your more enduro, bikes, enduro bikes but they have a huge breakdown it's probably like a 20 point breakdown of of different styles of road and off-road riding okay so gravel sand mud everything and then it will show you every single tire. It'll be like green. We'll, we'll link this in the yeah. description because this sounds useful. But um, green for optimal, yellow for suboptimal, and then like red or black for bad or right. don't, yeah, yeah. don't try it sort of thing. And the Rail Zs, which is what I've got, I've got the biggest band of green in the, green and yellow in the in the off road section. Red for track days, though. Red for track days, exactly. <laughs> um, but there's lots of different little things to look out for. The, if you're starting out, a really good starting out tyre combination is the Mitas E07. Yeah. Not only for cost, but also it is a pretty even 50-50 tyre. It's pretty good on the road, much better than my Rail Z, and it's pretty good off-road. If you think you want a bit more comfort for on-road, there are tyres that have, if you look at the tyre, will have a centre through the, the knobbly bits the actual center line will be solid. Yeah, yeah. So Even you... if it's just a tiny bit, it'll be solid. So that when you're cruising at speed and the bike's completely up straight, you are cruising on... On a round tire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but obviously then that compromises a bit more off-road. Yeah, you don't have that grip through the center of the tire. Yeah, but... there's a lot of, it, it's a lot to look look for. And I think you only learn through changing up every time you you need a new set of tires yeah and talking to different riders and reading about mm. experiences online and things but um yeah absolutely so tires are huge huge performance gains i guess then the other I, the biggest thing i would say for any well this isn't just for the bike this is also for the rider mm-hmm. is weight loss yeah um now most riders are guilty of going out and bragging about how much weight they've saved by changing out you know their tail on oh, my tail unit saved me like half a kilo um and blah 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 and actually you know the weight of the rider is probably the easiest place for most of us to look at trying to shed a few pounds yeah um and that will also have a, and the cheapest yeah well absolutely unless you've got an expensive gym membership or something <laughs> or. <laughs> but yeah but yeah i mean it's going to have other benefits as well to your riding in that you're probably also going to get fitter, more mobile, all of that side of things. So if you can, I'm not telling everyone to go out and like, you know, become super athletes, but it's probably the, the easiest place to look at saving a bit of weight is, is yourself and some of your riding gear as well. Yep. 
potentially um a lot of people rocking around in some pretty pretty heavy stuff um but then on the bike there are some significant areas that we can save some weight um and i know you've done done a fair bit of this on your tenere yeah and it's it's tricky because it's it's also working out the the cost to weight ratio because yeah yeah some things you can do cost you a fortune and and you save half a kilo or something yeah and some things are actually pretty cheap and you can actually save quite a lot the probably the biggest immediate weight gain that you could possibly do on any adventure bike is to change the the stock exhaust whether it's just the end can or the full amount yeah and that's one of those nice ones that has other benefits as well as the weight yeah. loss aesthetic sound, sound yeah street cred whatever all, yeah all sometimes that sort of you stuff get as well. you gain a couple of horses in there as well yeah yeah it's um it's a good all-round value for money and it doesn't have to cost the earth either. I mean, no. like, you know, taking the, we're, we're always going to re- refer to the, the T7 as our kind of go-to example for a lot of this. But the, the Yamaha official Akrapovich um, slip-on is hideously expensive. I think about 900, 900 quid, is pounds. it? It is. Which is... Shocking. Oof. And if you're going to be off-roading that bike, or there's any chance of you dropping that bike on a semi-regular basis... It's not you the can for you, is it? Put a big scuff in your nine hundred pound. It's got a carbon heat can. shield on it for yeah. your sake. It's like, it looks lovely, but yeah, which is why I think uh, what I've got the uh, the LexTech system, which is now only just as of last week a full system now, is ideal. I mean, the NCAN and uh, link pipe is like I think it's like one hundred and fifty quid yeah, or something. I think we priced it up. At, I'm pretty sure it was something like at Bridge. We we said once it was ready, I think it was going to be one hundred and eighty quid fitted. Which is incredible. It looks great. It's the same. It is within a few grams. It's the same weight saving as the as Acura it, one. Is the Acura one? Yeah, yeah. Lifetime warranty on it. Yeah, from Lextech. And well, they were putting the system on. They wanted to photograph it, and mm. and they said we're surprised at how well because it's covered in crap. Yeah, yeah. And they said we're surprised at how well it polished. It you know it, the stainless steel buffed back up after we That's after good. all the scratching and scuffing that i've been doing to it because it is it's it's all it's chinese stuff isn't it and it gets, sometimes get a bit, gets a bit of a bad rep for for quality but i mean like, I, I know loads of people with the lextech stuff and but no the, the stainless steel has been you know i've had it in all kinds of conditions yeah and the stainless steel is 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 it's great obviously now i've just got the headers and the full through system now so i've got a lot more of the stainless steel on it so i'll see how it goes but how much has doing all that saved you then so well the n cannon link pipe you save about 2.3 kilos by swapping them over. That's and not, not so the full system, it's probably another three, maybe four. I haven't probably weighed okay, it Okay, so we're yet. up sort of six or seven kilos in total, though. Yeah. For not a crazy amount of money. No. And like you said, the added benefits you get as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, obviously, and that's helping to make up for some of the extra weight you've added on with the with the crash bars and, yep. and bash plate and stuff. So we're probably de- back down to around the, the standard bike weight anything else we can oh there's there's loads of little things you know things like changing to a lithium-ion battery okay Um, i mean that's something that surprisingly most people well i probably wouldn't ever think to do yeah on a bike surprisingly the price per kilo is actually one of the best things you can do actually is it yeah i was looking um when i did did an article on it so the standard battery in the t7 for example is 3.2 kilograms you go for a, a Shido oh, a lithium iron. Yeah, it's nine hundred grams. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it costs hundred quid. Yeah, but so it's only fifty quid a kilo, isn't it? Yeah, which is not terrible. 
No. Any other little things like that that people... I mean, you know, the exhaustion stuff is fairly yeah, obvious. Is... There's little things that you don't need, you know, things like your pillion foot pegs, you're not going to use them. Okay, yeah. Uh, some bikes have a huge tail units, which can yeah. be kilos. I've changed mine over, which has saved me about a, a kilogram to a tail side. That's quite a lot, actually. Yeah. I mean, things like dropping your pillion foot pegs if you don't need them. Okay, I suppose you lose some tethering space, mm-hmm. but that's free. Yeah. I mean, that's great value. <laughs> yeah. Costs you nothing, and the bike looks better afterwards. Yeah. The other thing as well to look at is consumables. Right, okay. Because the stock consumables, so pads, discs, you know, stock discs can be quite heavy. Yeah, they're not necessarily going to be the highest performance sort of things in the world. Wheels, I suppose, is a big one. Wheels is a huge one. Wheels is supposed to be a massive one, but generally very, very expensive. Yes, because you've got unsprung weight. But it's unsprung mass, so it kind of counts for more than... A kilo mm-hmm. saved on your wheels counts for a lot more than a kilo saved yeah. on your tail tidy because it's rotational. But posh wheels tend to cost a lot, a couple of grand, aren't they? I think yeah. for a, a decent set of rims. So most people are probably not going to go down that route. No, but you know those brake discs and rear sprocket. Mm. You can. You're not going to shave loads, but again, it's unsprung weight, which is a very valuable. And weight. if you've got to replace it anyway, yes. Right. I mean, I wouldn't go out and buy a new. Set, no, set I'm, I'm not going to touch that until I need to. Until you wear them out, and then you'll look at, at better options. One thing I think you said to me that I'd never considered, which I thought was quite interesting, is that the best way to save yourself like 10 kilos is put less fuel in the tank. Yeah. If you're going out for a morning's green laning rather than a around-the-world expedition, you don't need 18 litres of fuel. No. Nah. You probably get away with six or seven litres. Yeah. Um, and you've saved yourself yeah 10 to 12 kilos of weight, all of which is at the highest point of the bike because i think yeah when we go out you quite often i won't brim it deliberately don't brim the tank and on the tenere which has got the biggest reserve tank known to man <laughs> was it about like six is it a 60 miles 70 mile range on when the light reserve? when the light comes on but it's the fuel gauge the fuel gauge is ridiculous it's stupid, isn't on it? it you go through the you go through the whole range within about 60 miles and then the light starts coming on and you know you've got a good 50 miles to go so yeah yeah but um, no, it's a, it's you know it's a perfect. So learn perfect with that point. one. You've got to learn your bike first and and learn how far you can get away with, and then yeah. potentially you can you can save yourself a load of weight simply by not filling it up. Yeah, and that definitely saves you some money. Definitely. So what else haven't we covered here for? Well, so I suppose then it's just like bits and bobs on the bike, and that's all the sort of performancey um, modifications covered. Mm-hmm. You know, short of doing crazy stuff like adding nitrous and superchargers <laughs> and stuff. But we'll, we'll leave that to the the kind of superbike boys. Yeah, um, we're not going drag racing. So I suppose it's it's little modifications, little extras you can add to the bike that aren't necessarily going to revolutionise the performance or the way it rides, but might make a significant difference to how you use the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're out on the trails or out on on trips and things, um, I know you've you've got some you've built up some relationships with a couple of brands that make some access some decent accessories, and you've added a few other bits and pieces to your to your bike. Yeah, for this reason. Yeah, so the so a big thing, especially if you're travelling, is going to be power, not uh, horsepower, not horsepower, but electric power for the bits that you're taking with you, whether that's your phone, your GoPro, uh, your intercom, whatever. Yeah, especially if you you're feeling adventurous and you want to camp so you haven't got like an electric hookup at the end of the day mm. it's quite easy to get a setup where you've got a usb charger uh whether it's up at the front so you can charge stuff in your in your tank bag or whether you can charge under your seat having a little setup there that allows you to keep stuff charged up during the day or charge a battery pack during the day 
you know, so you're not running down the bike's battery because the bike's using its alternator to power all this. And then in the evening, you use your battery packs to yeah. keep everything going. And then the next day when you're riding, you just charge everything back up again. And it's a really simple uh, but effective way of keeping your electronics. And a lot of adventure bikes will come with, especially the bigger bikes, will come with a yeah. lot of this stuff as standard, right? Yeah, either a power socket or a, or a dedicated a USB, USB socket. But a lot of the smaller stuff, so things like CRF 250s and Royal Enfield Himalayans, those sort of things won't come with these things as standard, but mm-hmm. they're incredibly cheap to buy. Yeah just you know ebay or whatever i mean i've got a little usb one on my wr which is brilliant just i know i'm not touring on the bike but i have my phone mounted on the handlebars for sat nav exactly and i can just run a iphone cable from the usb straight into the phone and charge it as i ride it's brilliant yeah so i've got an ultimate add-ons set up on mine which is a big solid rugged shockproof waterproof dirt proof case and having that mounted up on the bike I've basically got a second screen. I've got a GPS. I've got a music player for my headset. It, yeah, yeah. It's like having your infotainment in your car. Yeah. Right in front of your face on your bike. Yeah. In my opinion, it's the best setup. I, I don't really see the need for a GPS these days. You know, even TomTom, you yeah, can yeah. you can download a TomTom to your phone with yeah, yeah. world offline maps. Yeah. You know, most phones come with built-in GPS that isn't internet dependent. Yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah. So as long so, as you've got the maps downloaded, then... Exactly. It's no problem. Yeah, I agree so, with you on that. Um, and then just keeping that powered. So just a nice just a nice little setup. It keeps you keeps you on the trails and keeps you keeps you going. Yeah, basically. so you use, you use Ultimate Add-ons. I use Quadlock. Yeah. Which I just, the only thing I'd say to be a little bit careful with with Quadlock is I've had it happen and somebody else has. The vibration from the bike has caused the camera stabilization yeah I've, to, I've, to fail um, yeah i know they've come out with a like a stabilization i think they have now i think they've something. picked up on this because it yeah. must have happened to a few people which was frustrating the advantage is unlike your system where it's in a case mm-hmm. i kind of rely on the fact that my phone is waterproof and dustproof anyway yeah and i can get my phone on and off with one hand in two seconds it's it's a really nice system i think yours is probably overall better for really rugged off regular mm-hmm. rugged off-roading um i think the quad lock system is probably better for most people commuting and road adventure riding yeah i'd agree with that and then a toolkit now i'm guilty in saying that my toolkit is bare is bare i've uh, <laughs> just bought some tire levers and spare tubes yeah. to add to it because i'm going away on the weekend but at the moment it's just got some sockets and a leatherman in there yeah, but I mean, the main thing is just to make sure you've got the right size sockets um, and Allen keys and things with, with you that you can undo any of the bolts on your bikes. And normally there's only going to be a few sizes for, for most of the things you're going to want to access anyway. Yes. On your bike, they're not they're not likely to have 10, you're not going to need 10 different sizes of socket necessarily for your bike. And again, it's a way you can save weight is by not taking the, the sizes of Allen keys and sockets that you know your bike doesn't mm-hmm. have any of. And you you can do this you you can do it yourself and physically go over the bike and see what you need. But yeah. if you go on a bike specific forum, someone will have made a post of yeah. their magical all in one toolkit that allows you to do everything on the bike. And you can just copy that and, just and, copy it. and tweak it if you mm. if you feel you need to. Yeah, I tell you what I found yesterday, which is brilliant. They haven't got any in stock yet. I've got to wait like a month for one. But Rally Raid products they do some great stuff for for bikes. But they've come up with a an all-in-one um, wheel remover for the front and rear rear wheel on the Tenere. Okay. So it's got a, a big 
sort of spanner hole for the rear axle nut and then the front got two you've got some bolts which are like sort of like a 10 mil bolt mm. but then you've also got what is effectively a really big probably like 22 mil allen key hole through the axle on the front wheel yeah yeah so in this one tool one piece of metal you've got all three things so you can undo okay. and redo the whole of the front and rear wheel oh, nice. with one tool you have to link that which is pretty cool so we can visualize it yeah, because it doesn't. I haven't visualised it very well. Well, you visualised it. You haven't explained it very well. <laughs> <laughs> we can't see into your brain. Mm. Thank, but there are there thankfully. are some great tools that get the job done really small and really light for you. Now, you mentioned back at the beginning when we were talking about protection about whether we should be buying OEM parts or whether we should buy aftermarket stuff. As a Yamaha dealer i obviously would recommend that everybody <laughs> buys exclusively genuine parts for their yamaha motorcycle no i'm joking um, <laughs> no there's there's pros and cons to both right yeah um again this is another article that i wrote on the website about the genuine yamaha accessories that i've personally experienced and whether i would recommend them or whether i would recommend something else now that the, now the bike has had like a year of development from the third party party companies would I buy the Yamaha stuff? Or would I buy someone yeah. else's? And it's hit and miss. Some some of the stuff that they've done is actually really good. And, yeah. and Triumph, for example, some of the Triumph stuff that I, you can get for the Tiger, I would have that over third party stuff. Yeah, the thing with the obviously the manufacturer, the biggest advantage they have is that they have the bike probably three years ahead yes. of anybody else. They've had that um, development period exactly. Um, the quality of the accessories often comes down to how well the accessory department of that company works with their um, kind of bike design team mm -hmm. sometimes. And there's a, there's a, one example that sticks out in my mind with the Tenere where you can kind of see that their kind of marketing design team for the bike and the accessory team <laughs> haven't spoken in, in terms of the crash bars. Yeah. Where the crash bars on the bike are actually, like you said, are pretty good. They work. But they cover the stickers up that say Tenere 700. Yeah, the and bar you can goes just, right through the Tenere logo. And you can just tell that whoever's designed the livery for the bike never spoke to the chap that was designing the crash bars and then uh yeah you put the crash bars on and you go oh bugger mm -hmm. that looks rubbish now so you do have stuff like that but as a general rule the, the stuff's going to be designed to fit the bike really well you're not going to have to bodge anything to fit it it's going to be designed to bolt on pretty pretty easily you can have it on the bike if you're buying new have it fitted right at the point of order um, there's going to be very few instances where a brand new bike will come out with no accessories available yeah. Um, because yeah, guess what manufacturers want to make some more money um, and they know that by selling accessories mm -hmm. most people are going to want to customise their bike to some extent and it does they, it does look nice when you spec a bike in all of its OEM stuff oh yeah it looks great they and it's all look good yeah and it's all covered under the manufacturer's warranty normally mm -hmm. if it's fitted at PDI you get the full manufacturer's warranty on, on all those parts so in, the, in, that term, in terms of that, it's great. It's not often the most cost-effective way to no. accessorize a bike, would and, you agree? And you aren't necessarily getting the best product for what you want out of that product. Sure. Uh, case in point being the crash bars. Now mm. that we've had a year of development, there are better bars for the same price or less. The big difference being that they're lighter weight. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So from, a, um, from an adventure point of view because the bars on the Tenere do tend to sit quite high up on the bike. Yeah. You know, that's high up weight. There are other options out there that are lighter, that are just as strong. Mm. So that is, for example, something that I probably wouldn't recommend OEM. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. 
a lot of it's down to visual style as well. Yeah, yeah. So know. those heed ones we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. they're pretty bulky. They don't necessarily look pretty, mm. but they kind of you can tell they're going to do a good job. Yeah. And I guess with some of these aftermarket companies, they're designing products that are more for a specific rider. Yeah. I.e. In, in in our case, adventure bike riders who are going to be taking their bikes off road, whereas Yamaha. Um, or Kawasaki or whoever it happens to be making making the parts are uh, building these parts for the average rider, the person that they think um, is going to represent the biggest demographic of people buying that bike. Yes. Um, whereas a bench spec, for instance, don't really care about the average rider. They care about the kind the, of 10% of riders that are going to go and absolutely smash the bike off road. Yeah, definitely. And like adventure spec, a perfect example with their side luggage racks. They're designed for soft luggage. Yeah. You know, that's the first company to have bought out soft luggage specific racks. You know, the Yamaha, for example, they only they've only done hard luggage hard luggage, or you do a, a rear rack and they're big soft rollback. Yeah. But that's because Yamaha know that most people will want aluminium boxes. That's mm-hmm. what most most riders use on adventure bikes. Yeah. But for all the reasons we've discussed, it's not necessarily the the right option for everyone. No. And it's just it's all like we keep saying, it's all down to what you want. And what works works for you and works for your budget and your visual styling choices, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's some other advantages, I suppose, with the OEM stuff is that, you know, usually as well, if you're buying it from a main dealer, if you're buying the bike on finance especially, which a lot of people are now. I mean, I think we're up to roughly 50-60% of new bike sales are, are through some form of finance, either PCP mm-hmm. or higher purchase. If you're buying the bike that way, all of your genuine accessories can, can go onto the finance with no problem, whereas, you know, some of the more niche uh, aftermarket companies, main dealers aren't necessarily going to have accounts with or access to and, and things like that. So um, it's definitely easier at the point of purchase to buy the the genuine stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think you're right. Give give bikes a bit of time for some uh, R&D from other companies. and Yeah, you- and that's the best thing about, you know, going for a bike that's a year or a few years old is, is you will have that that time that other people have spent with it and can recommend and can and you can find the perfect product for you but then the the joy of going with a new bike like like the t7 is that you get to go along with it and yeah you get to be kind of go on that, the, that journey yeah, yeah absolutely so, yeah it's exciting isn't it to get to have a to have that sort of unknown have that brand new brand new bike experience hmm. that, that nobody else has done yeah i'll always look at the oem option as part of my i will never write out the oem accessories because i, th- I genuinely think that some are very good price for what they are and yeah. they are like you said they might not be built for my spec but they will be built to a good spec for the average rider yeah yeah definitely same but yeah i think that will finish us up for that topic unless you've got anything else you want to add no no i think i think that's that's about it really but yeah i guess main, main points to take away is just that to have a really really honest look at um how you're using your bike mm. um and try and try and fit your your modifications around that yeah and this harkens back to our episode on getting into adventure riding which is you know you start to build a shopping list after each time you go out you find something new that you want to change and yeah. you want to buy next yeah. treat yourself you know, every not, month it, it's silly to go out unless you're completely experienced you know exactly what you need to do to this bike mm. you know there's no point spending a couple of grand and completely kitting it to the hill you'll find that half the stuff you won't need or use yeah yeah yeah, absolutely it's much better to develop that as you as you go and much more fun i think yeah yeah i think so i mean it's it's nice to go and pick up a bike that's all fully loaded but i think you're you're enjoying Mm -hmm. gradually now 
tweaking and changing things on, on on yours aren't you yeah and again it's getting you more in tune with with the bike and with bikes in general you know that you come across a, a problem you change the problem you feel and experience the difference it makes you a better rider a better bike owner yeah but yeah that'll do so we haven't got any letters this week so no one to read out yeah no one emails us anymore because you ignore them <laughs> I hope that's not the case, but um, I'm still I'm stuck to my policy of returning to all email, emails within 24 yeah, hours. You haven't uh, you haven't actually broken that promise, <laughs> have you? That no one's emailed, except for Louise and Michael updating me. But oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah they've they've been in touch. So that's been good. Mm. So I am off this weekend, so we're recording quite early in the week. Yeah, so you're going to meet your brother in Salisbury, and then you're riding the you're riding west along the. Tet back to Exeter, yep. correct? On Friday night, Saturday night? Yeah, so I'm going to fr- finish work, ride up uh, ride up to Salisbury to my brother's, and then we're going to ride back Saturday, Sunday. So Saturday camp, sort of Lyme Regis way, yeah, and then back. So we do a whole section. And then in a few weeks, we're going to do the opposite way around. So my brother's going to come down to me, and then we're going to ride up um, on the other side of the Great Western Trail. Which is a pretty decent way of yeah, exactly. Yeah, doing a, doing a section towards Swindon, doesn't it? And then yeah. so then we've got the Yamaha motocross experience that weekend, haven't we? So I imagine we'll probably end up doing either a whole podcast on that or a section of it. Yeah, on, definitely on, on that, and uh, well, maybe on just adventure schools and things in general because there's mm. so many out there to suit all kinds of different needs and wants and blah blah. blah. Um, but we're doing the actual rather than the Tenere school, we're doing the Yamaha motocross experience. It's going to be. Uh, lightweight bikes which i oh, think yeah, 250 or 450 ws uh so from what they've said to us we're going to have a mixture there's going to be um the motocross bikes and the enduro bikes so the enduro bikes we've got uh are all four strokes so we've got uh wr250 f's which is what i've got yeah albeit mine's 15 years old and there's <laughs> going to be 2020 brand new ones uh and wr450 f's which are going to be monsters nice these are four strokes um kind of around i guess 120 to 140 150 kilos roughly um but then we've got the actual motocross bikes so we've got the yz125 and you think oh 125 that's really rubbish but this thing makes i think about 40 horsepower and weighs 80 to 90 kilos Jeez. i've ridden one before they are wild fun and then we've also got the yz250 which i'm not sure but probably doesn't make uh probably doesn't weigh much more but it's i think you know sort of 60 horsepower from That's the two straight 250 um so we're gonna have a lot of fun that weekend and i think for those of us those people going that, that tend to ride bigger adventure bikes it's going to be quite a valuable experience just in in getting used to feeling a bike really really moving around a lot yeah yeah definitely but that, that's a few weeks away so we'll we'll cover that in more more detail at the time yeah no it's ideal because i've got i bought a bunch of motocross kit this week because oh, yeah because it's gonna be hot this weekend i've checked the weather and i was worried that it's gonna rain and it's it's the opposite i kind of wish it was <laughs> raining because it's actually reading uh 30 degrees in salisbury on Ooh. on saturday so i thought i needed to change my adventure kit so i've Got online and bought some armor and some motocross jersey, motocross trousers. Had to get well, matching Alpine ones. Alpine stars. Alpine stars. Nice. It's their Brap range. It's called Brap. That's awful. Um, this year's colors, navy. We, uh, me and Emily, spent. I let Emily choose. Did you? And I was like, right. Here's my shortlist of like ten different designs. Yeah. You can pick the, the the best one. And it's it's good. It's a nice navy one with a nice. big Alpine cool. stars logo. 
Um, like I said, got some tire levers and some tubes because I'm adamant that I'm finally going to get my first ever puncture. You want to get one, don't you? Just so you can change it. I kind of want to be able to get one at home, not halfway yeah. through my tech weekend. But maybe we need to just just do just it. Just do it exactly. Just do um, it anyway. What have I got? I'm really uh, I've spent enough money, but I'm I feel like I need like a hydro pack. So, oh, like a bladder. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm shout. looking at the Krieger ones, but then James Archibald is trying to convince me that I need the Krieger, the new Krieger Trail 18. What was a backpack? Yeah, yeah which yeah. looks really nice, but they're, they're pretty. They're like 180 quid. Oh yeah, I mean you can go and buy like a like a platypus one for probably 50 or 60 quid. I know, but I mean it's not bike specific, but ultimately it's a pack of water in a bag. I know, but I like Krieger. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Buy the Krieger one. Speaking of though, I should have mentioned this up front. Did you watch that video? that Krieger launched this week no. of that guy on the T7 doing the stunts no to promote to. the Trail 18 no holy mackerel it is right. insane you have to link that in the seeing description the, seeing as well, this no. guy the way that this guy you know those videos about a month ago of a guy in like a in like a marble quarry going up the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was like footage that someone had taken of this guy filming this oh, video was it? Okay. so it's actually like a really high production 20 minute long video of this trail stunt rider on a t7 oh no we're watching with dinner it mate it's insane is it i've only watched about half of it but okay. seeing that what the t7 can do in the right hands jeez yeah in my in my hands in about 12 months that's the plan <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. that's why i need a trail that's why i need the new krieger backpack because uh, clearly that's part that of will the, help that will help because he stayed hydrated exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice i'm gonna i've i've clearly spent too much time podcasting i need to bloody give this up yeah <laughs> i'm going mad <laughs> oh well right that'll we'll leave it there then unless you've got any... what have you got any... have you got anything on i've been very selfish no not Talking really um same old same old I'm moving house in the next couple of weeks it's not very exciting for the podcast but well, it is that... new podcast studio that's true we will have a new podcast studio and i'm moving very very close to one of our favorite green lanes about yes. a mile from it that definitely didn't have anything to do with the house purchase. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're hopefully that's sort of oh st- stressful, but you know, hoping to exchange next week and then move the week after that. So we should be in middle of August, and then the week after we're planning to move, I've got a long weekend off, which oh, ideal. I should be spending doing housework and packing and unpacking. But I'm going to North Wales for three days and leaving Rachel <laughs> at home. So she's like, I think we should you should use some of your time off to help get the house ready. And I thought, mm, it's summer. It's not what time off's for. Well, this is it. It's, it's summer and, you know, we've all been locked down and uh, the thought of going to North Wales to see see a couple of friends up there for a long weekend is significantly more attractive than pulling up carpets in a, yeah. in a house. So Totally agree. Yeah. Save that for the winter. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. that, that's my next few weeks planned anyway. Sounds good. All right. Shall I wrap us up? Shall I take us home? Take us home, James. Okay. Well, thanks for listening again, everyone. Uh, it's great to, to have you all subscribed and following. Um, the numbers keep going up, which is good news. It means we're doing something right. Surprising news. Yeah, if um, if we are doing something right or doing something wrong or anything in between, then do let us know. Um, either leave a review in your podcast app, ping us an email, uh, 9to5adv at gmail.com. If you've got a question or a comment or you want to correct us on something that we've clearly said wrong or you want to rant about electric motorcycles, uh, and I can rant back at you about electric motorcycles. I'm sure Ross 
would be thrilled I'll to be sit the, through that. I'll be the balanced mediator in that <laughs> impartial judge. Um, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to do that, then by all means, please do. Uh, you can follow me. I'm at nine to five ADV, and I'll be updating on our tet trip and camping uh, over this weekend, and obviously following that. Yeah, and if you'd like to follow me, uh, I am at Devonshire underscore biker on Instagram. So yeah, by all means, uh, give that a, give that a follow for uh, all sort of mountain bike and motorbike related content. Great. I think we're gonna probably chat to Michael next week and get his debrief. Yeah, with any luck, if we can pin him down, the whole of the tet and find out th- what he's got planned next. Yeah, and I think um, I do quite fancy doing that adventure bike maintenance episode um in a few weeks as well yes that sounds like a decent well one. let's do that after you've done your tech thing because hopefully you'll have had some breakdowns oh even and better we'll have yeah. some good stories Great idea but, cool uh, yeah all right well have a good week everyone uh we will see you next week keep adventuring bye botox cosmetic out of botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.